0: Welcome to Question Period, I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, Trade Trouble.
1: The President and I are working with members of the United States Congress to pass the USMCA and pass the USMCA this summer.
0: Did U.S. President Donald Trump just put the hard-fought trade deal with Canada in jeopardy after he threatened to slap new tariffs on Mexico just hours? after the U.S. and Canada pledged to ratify the New Deal as soon as possible. And is Canada getting crushed between the U.S.-China trade war? Chair of the Cabinet Committee on Canada-U.S. Relations, Minister Mark Garneau, joins us with some answers. Then, the abortion debate. There was um, a significant amount of
2: concern amongst Canadians on the uh, new anti-choice laws being passed in Uh, American, a number of American states.
0: Why is Prime Minister Trudeau raising concerns about a reversal of abortion rights in some U.S. states? Could an anti-abortion movement take hold here? Or is Mr. Trudeau exploiting the issue for the upcoming election? MPs will join us to debate that. And then, rebel MPs. We need to do politics differently.
3: It seems like all they're doing up there in Ottawa is fighting with each other.
0: Former Liberal cabinet ministers Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott are going it alone, but will the path to independence lead to irrelevance or reformation? Would they consider rejoining the Liberal party under new leadership? Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott are both going to join us for their first sit-down interview together We also have this. Is the government's media bailout already undermined by the leader of the largest union in Canada? The man in the crossfire, union leader Jerry Dias, joins us. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. Just hours after U.S. Vice President Mike Pence was in Ottawa, assuring Canada that the new NAFTA would be ratified this summer. U.S. President Trump, well, he blew that up. Where else but on Twitter? The president suddenly shocked everyone and threatened to slap new, nasty tariffs on Mexico, something that would undermine the entire new and a half to deal. So what happens now? To talk about that and how Canada will push back at China to get the release of two jailed Canadians, we're joined by Mark Garneau. He is the chair of the Cabinet Committee on U.S.-Canada Relations and Trade Diversification, among other titles. Uh, Minister, thanks so much for joining us. If Donald Trump does go through with these threats to put big tariffs on Mexico is the trade deal frankly undermined. Uh I would say
4: no and I say that based on the fact that the president of uh, Mexico has indicated that they will continue the normal process of ratification. We in Canada also and uh, after uh, meeting with uh, Vice President Pence uh, the Prime Minister indicated that we will bring our ratification process forward as you know with uh, legislation and uh, Vice President Pence uh, has indicated that he will be working hard, the uh, Trump administration, to pass it through Congress.
0: Yeah, but, but, but frankly, if he goes through with these tariffs, which would be unprecedented on Mexico to deal with what he calls the border crisis, the markets have reacted to that, as you know. Um, it's been devastating reaction. Uh, I mean, the reality is, is Canada prepared for this deal to go into the ditch over this? Is that now a new threat and makes ratification a lot more precarious?
4: Well, I can't speak for what Mexico will do or not do, although, as I say, the president has indicated that uh, he will uh, continue the ratification process in a business-as-usual approach in Mexico. We in Canada intend to, as we said, after the... Uh, U.S. tariffs were removed from steel and aluminum, said that we would drop our own tariffs and we would proceed with ratification. That is what was discussed uh, with uh, Vice President Pence on Friday, and the Canadian government intends to move forward that way. We'll see what happens, but uh, we're not going to comment on uh, how Mexico decides to uh, deal with uh, what the President uh uh, has said.
0: I just wonder if that's just, you know, maybe it's, it's wishful thinking or optimism because you got Donald Trump now threatening the Mexicans. I know they're saying they're going to go forward. Meantime, you got U.S. Speaker uh, and Democrat Nancy Pelosi s- releasing a statement saying this is far from a done deal. They have control of Congress. She released a statement saying we better get changes to this stuff in terms of all sorts of issues on enforcement. And I spoke to the former U.S. Ambassador to Canada, Bruce Heyman, and he said, hey, Don't be fooled by what Mike Pence said. This deal is far from done. Let's be realistic. Nancy Pelosi, Donald Trump, can you get this done before the next election?
4: So Canada uh, signed the the deal, the tripartite deal, last fall. We said that uh, once the tariffs were dropped, we would proceed with the ratification. We are proceeding with the ratification. It's our hope that we'll be able to move in parallel with the two other countries and achieve that ratification later this year. That's our plan, and that's the way we intend to move forward. We think that the deal shouldn't be reopened and that it is a good deal for all three parties.
0: Mark Garneau, the U.S. Vice President, Mike Pence, said that um, Donald Trump will raise the issue of the detained Canadians uh, in China with President Xi at the G20, okay? And that was a, a big topic. Why won't Prime Minister Trudeau call President Xi? If Trump's going to do it, why can't Mr. Trudeau do it?
4: Well, um uh, our prime minister will, of course, be going to the G20 as well, and uh, so I, I can't speak for the prime minister in that regard. But we are very appreciative of the fact that there is a great deal of support from many countries, including <coughs> the United States, with respect to the de- detainment of uh, of Michael uh, kovrick and Michael uh, Spaver. and so we're very, very uh, appreciative of their support, and and we will continue to uh, to uh, press China to. Uh, release these uh, two Canadians who are illegally Look, being but, detained. But sir,
0: with all due respect, the question is, if President Trump can raise it with President Xi, there, there are citizens, not Trump citizens, right? If, if we're going to raise it, if he's going to raise it, why can't the Prime Minister pick up the phone and say, President Xi, we believe this is politically motivated, we believe they're being tortured, we believe this is the wrong way to do business, and we're going to take some action? I, I mean... I understand that we keep saying stuff. What are we actually going to do? We're not calling President Xi. What are we doing to get our Canadians out of prison?
4: China is very much aware of the fact that Canada uh, has uh, uh, stated very clearly that we consider the detainment of the two Canadians to be illegal and totally unfounded. They know the position that... uh, Canada takes with respect to that and they know that many other countries are aligned with Canada and we will continue to press the case for China to uh, to release those two Canadians.
0: Yeah the US wants you to put your money where your mouth is and ban Huawei from Canada's 5G network. They're the giant telecom company. You know of course the heart of it is the uh, one of the top executive Meng Wanzhou uh, from Huawei is being detained in Vancouver. The US wants to extradite her but they're pressing us to follow them and ban Huawei. Will your government make a decision on that soon? And will you ban Huawei and align with the U.S. against China on this?
4: We are looking at it, as the Prime Minister has indicated. uh, Our security and intelligence organizations are evaluating the possible presence of Huawei uh, in the Canadian system with with the, the, the telecom companies. And we will come to a decision on that. We will make that decision independently, even though we are part of the Five Eyes. We're sensitive to that. But we uh, will, as a sovereign country, make that own decision ourselves. Well,
0: it's taken a long time. A lot of Canadians are wondering, look, why, why is this so hard? What it's starting to look like, sir, is Canada is afraid to antagonize the Chinese on Huawei because of the important trading relationship and aligned too closely with Trump. In the meantime, crushed in the middle are two Canadians languishing in a prison there. Is that a factor we're afraid to antagonize the Chinese?
4: It's got nothing to do with being afraid of anything. It's a question of trying to develop our relationship with China by standing up for the things that we believe are important, by advancing our interests, and with engaging China when it's ready to engage us so that we can, in the long term, be trading partners and uh, and, be tra- and and be partners at other levels so it's an evolving relationship that, he, that we are in the process of developing uh, with China uh, as it uh, as it becomes a, a more and more prominent uh, player on the world stage
0: all right uh, Minister Garner I got to leave it there so thank you so much appreciate it
4: my pleasure Evan
0: coming up the Prime Minister told the openly pro-life. US vice president Mike Pence, that Canada will always support a woman's right to choose. Did he overstep with our closest ally by bringing that issue up? Is he trying to inject the abortion debate into Canada as a wedge issue in the next election, or is it a genuine issue that needs discussing? MPs are standing by to debate that next. Stay right here with Question Period. Canadians, and indeed this government, uh, will always be a staunch defender of women's rights and uh, a woman's right to choose. So the U.S. vice president touched down in Ottawa this week, and the new NAFTA trade deal and China tensions were at the top of the agenda. Well, they were until the prime minister decided to raise the abortion issue. Justin Trudeau declared that his government is concerned that the U.S. is backsliding on women's rights after some U.S. states have moved to radically restrict abortion access. Did the Prime Minister commit a bilateral blunder by raising a sensitive issue with our largest trading partner, or is he trying to make abortion a full-fledged election issue here, when leaders like Andrew Scheer say that door is closed? Let's bring MPs to find out. Pam DeMoff is the Parliamentary Secretary for Health and an Ontario Liberal MP. She's with me in studio. Lisa Raine is the Deputy Conservative Leader. She's in Sydney, Nova Scotia. And Nikki Ashton is an NDP MP for Manitoba. She is in the peg. Great to have all of you here. Pam DeMoff, I'll start with you. Why did the Prime Minister make this an issue um, when the Vice President was here? This is not an issue, uh, Pam, that is on our agenda. Why did he try to wedge that in with Mike Pence? So
5: I would disagree with you that it's not on our agenda, and, and it's something that we have stood up for not just now but previously. When we got elected, we funded uh, women's sexual and reproductive health in international aid, something that um, had been stripped away during the Harper years. We refunded that. So this isn't something new for us bringing it up, and it's certainly not because there's an election coming
0: really there's not because Andrew here what do you what's the big concern for the Liberals because it's been three and a half years you haven't done that much on this issue suddenly oh, it, we have. well suddenly when when Mike Pence is here and you've got trade and you've got China two Canadians detained suddenly he's putting abortion on the uh, on the agenda there. Like, what impact do you think Justin Trudeau is going to have on the state's abortion debate in the U.S.?
5: Well, we're always going to speak up for human rights, and we're always going to speak up for women's rights, whether it's here or internationally. And it's something that we've spoken loudly on. The whole mandate. I mean, and we've taken flack. I've taken flack personally from the Conservatives when we have been very vocal on this. When when we stopped someone who was anti-choice from being chair of the Status of Women Committee, when 12 Conservative MPs go to uh, an anti-choice rally just a few weeks ago, when the Conservatives sit on their hands, when... uh, when we're talking about women's reproductive health, it's, it's, it's disturbing. This isn't new. Uh, it might be making the news for you right now, but it's not something that's well, new.
0: Well, Lisa Ray, what, what do you make of it? First of all, was it appropriate for the Prime Minister to raise this with Mike Pence? And then you heard what uh, Pam Namofa said, that uh, she's concerned that this backslide could be enabled by your party.
6: Well, I think, first of all, Canada is very different from the United States. This is a settled matter, a settled issue here in Canada. And actually, I I am actually quite surprised that the prime minister is going to such lengths to try to bring a divisive topic like this to the forefront in an election when we've been very clear since 2006, and we've shown through our actions that we have no intention nor desire to open up anything to do with abortion should we form government.
0: Nikki Ashton, do you consider it a settled matter, to use Lisa Raitt's word, Jagmeet Singh tweeted out he wants to make this an issue. He actually thinks abortion should be more accessible in the country. Is it a settled matter or, well, it's different than what's going on in the US, is it an issue we have to start putting back on the political agenda?
7: Mm-hmm. Well, look. First of all, it's just not good enough to say you're pro-choice. Uh, there are many women in Canada that uh, can't actually access an abortion because of where they live, whether in rural or northern areas. One out of six hospitals only offers uh, uh, abortion uh, uh, procedures. Uh, so, so uh, choice in theory is uh, uh, is is yes important, but we need it in practice. But look, I mean, it was a disturbing statement to hear Vice President Pence uh, uh, here in Canada as part of his joint press conference with the Prime Minister, tell us that he is proud to be part of a pro-life administration. Uh, in essence, uh, he took a platform we gave him as Canadians to impose his right-wing views, his divisive views, and frankly, views that we know in many ways embolden people that have those same kinds of views.
0: But with all due respect, he's, uh, you know his views. He's never hidden those views. Why? So you're saying the Prime Minister should not have brought that up? I mean, what's, what's the matter with Mike Pence? You may not agree with that view, but what's the problem? that he's expressing his legitimate political position that you may disagree with, you know, that's his view.
7: Yeah. Well, I think it's frankly uh, uh, not just disturbing but frankly disrespectful to talk like that when you're in a country uh, uh, that has a very different approach on uh, on choice I would have liked to have seen the Prime Minister come with a commensurate uh, uh, statement but uh, but like I said not only do we have to continue to defend choice uh, we need to make sure it's it's accessible and I am concerned that the Conservatives did not support a unanimous a call for a unanimous motion in the house this past week they didn't stand they didn't clap uh, and and uh, and to me, that is very concerning, Lisa.
0: Ray, just t- talk about that because uh, uh, the liberals and the NDP said, "Oh, the, the, that motion on on choice." Conservatives didn't stand for it, and they basically uh, have alleged, even though Andrew Shear, who is openly pro-life, but said, I'm not going to open this door on that, but they point out that he said, look, if backbenchers want to bring in forward bills, we can do that. They're alleging there's some backdoor way of bringing up the abortion debate. What's your view on those things? Why you didn't stand up? Yeah. Is there a backdoor to this?
6: No, there's no backdoor to this. Everybody knows that within the Conservative Party, there are those with faith who say that abortion is not something that they are in favor of. But that is their opinion. And that is their right to have that opinion. But the reality is is that that's not what a government does. And we've been very clear, this issue will not be opened up should we form government in October. This is not something that we're putting our minds to. And the fact that we're debating it today, I think is just really a desperate attempt by Justin Trudeau and the Liberal government to try to talk about something else other than SNC-Lavalin or Mark Norman or the economy or the things that Canadians are consumed with right now. And if you want, by the way, if there's a question about whether or not abortions are accessible in this country, that's a matter for provinces, and everybody knows that's a matter for provinces. It's not a
0: federal matter. Uh, Well, 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 go ahead, Panoff. I would say this. When Nikki Ashton and all of you say, well, and 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 that's a fair point, there are many women who do not have access mm -hmm. to... But you guys haven't done much on to, well, we to fix that access for three and a half years. So we,
5: we made Mifigamiso, Mifiga which is the abortion pill, available for women. We allowed them to get it without an ultrasound, which means that rural and indigenous women can have access to that pill. That's a way that the conservative government could def, could make abortions less available for women without touching the law. There's a Conservative MP from Kitchener right now, Harold Albright, who has an, uh, is sponsoring a petition to defund abortions. It's very real right now. The Conservatives have just nominated a, a candidate in Surrey, B.C. And the, the anti-choice groups have been very vocal that they're going to nominate candidates who will support their agenda.
0: But Andrew Scheer says he's not going to open not it. Not You can government.
5: defund... You can defund medications. You can defund sexual reproductive health internationally. Andrew Shears already said he's going to return to Harper's Way of Funding It. And yet I had dinner with Results Canada this week. They said it's been transformative for their work internationally because we've been allowed to fund that again.
0: Uh, Well, well, it looks like this debate is not going anywhere. I don't... don't, I'm... It's certainly on the U.S. agenda. Is it coming back to Canada? We'll have to watch and see Lisa Raitt, Nikki Ashen, and Pam DeMoff. I appreciate all three of you joining us today. As always, coming up, though, after months of speculation about their political future, former Cabinet Ministers Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott are forging their own path. They're going to run as independents in the upcoming election. Do they stand a chance without a party behind them? Is this the road to irrelevance or parliamentary reform? Jane Philpott and Jody Wilson-Ray will join us next for their first joint sit-down interview. Stay right here with Question Period.
6: I think they've made a mistake. I wish that they were running as Greens because I worry that their chances of being re-elected aren't as good facing all of the obstacles that independent candidates face.
0: Two former Liberal cabinet ministers who are at the center of the biggest controversy to hit the Trudeau government have announced this week that they will run again in the upcoming election, but as independents, former attorney general. Jody wilson Rabel and former Treasury Board President Jane Philpott resigned over how the Prime Minister handled the SNC-Lavalin affair. wilson Rabel alleged that she was inappropriately pressured by high-level government officials to offer them a deal to avoid criminal prosecution. There was a lot of speculation that the pair who were kicked out of the Liberal caucus in April would run for the Green Party. But both said at similar announcements, just minutes apart, that they want to run as independents. They want to stamp out partisanship in Ottawa. But do either of them have a chance of winning? And can political culture really be changed? Let's find out. Joining me now, Jody Wilson-Raybould, now an independent MP for British Columbia, and Jane Philpott, the independent MP in Ontario. Uh, Thanks for being here, both of you. Good to see you. There's very little, Jane Philpott, very little political history that say independents accomplish a lot here. They're rarely elected. I think the last time it was 2008. Do you think you can be effective, or will you languish in the back, nether regions of parliament for four years you know trying to prove a point
3: if i have the great privilege of being chosen by the people of markham stoville to represent them as an independent member of parliament in the next parliament then i know that those people can be sure i will work hard and make a difference here that is what my whole life has been about is using every tool in the toolkit to be able to accomplish good on Big issues uh, that are and you facing do that on, as an independent you though? know what people are looking at the issue of uh, what independent MPs have done on the basis of history. We are asking people to look at what uh, independent MPs can can do on the basis of the future of the basis of of hope, possibility, and imagination and in fact there is a great uh, we 've had a great response people have mm-hmm. been excited they 've said. What a fantastic idea to focus on your constituents, focus on what the people want you to do, and a little less emphasis on parties and unelected
0: staff members who are telling Uh, you what uh, to do. Listen, I'm not going to dump on hope, but it's not a great political strategy. It's a nice thing to have, but strategically. And I think there's a lot of sense with both of you. You ran one election. You both became high-profile senior ministers, both roundly seen as very effective. And Jody Wilson, there's a sense that you guys were like Formula One drivers on the track and now you're going to try to off-road and people say they don't understand that these cars don't work where they're going in the land of independent off-roading
8: well I mean I would say that simply because something is done a certain way doesn't mean that it can't change or it can't be how improved do you, Tell on. me how you do it. I mean, I'm well, literally interested. I am the same person I was when I decided to run in the 2015 election. I still hold the same values, the same beliefs and equality and justice and inclusion. Um, we no were- power
0: anymore. I mean, the power to legislate is what you had. You were the Minister of Justice. If you win again, you will have no power you will well, barely you will you know you barely get to talk
8: well, I, uh, I really value the years that I was a Minister of Justice and Attorney General. We accomplished many things. Um, I would challenge you on the fact that an independent doesn't have a voice. Um, I've been We've been independents for a short amount of time, and we've had many opportunities to speak in the House of Commons, to speak at committees, and everywhere I go, um, Canadians have been saying that they're fed up with the way politics is being done and are embracing the idea of having less partisanship, more cooperation and collaboration and trying to get things done. Did you decide
0: to stay as independent, Jane Philpott? Was there any thought that, you know what, I'm going to keep my options open. I'm not going to join the Greens or the NDP or the Conservatives. I know that wasn't really in your cards. Because maybe there's a time, if you win again as an independent, that you could rejoin a party. Possible?
3: At this point, uh, the idea of rejoining a party is not part of my... uh immediate uh, future that I can imagine. I seriously looked at uh, joining another party and we probably had the most in-depth conversations with the Green Party. But at the end of the day, I wasn't 100% sure that I was green through and through, that I could adapt and, right. and take in all of the policy. But I will collaborate with the Green Party. The, the, the amazing thing about being independent is in one, in some ways, it's one person who represents a uh, tens of thousands. But in other ways, it means you are free to collaborate. So I will collaborate with Elizabeth May and Greens. I will collaborate with uh, new Democratic members, with with liberals, with conservatives. And that's where we'll actually get the serious hard work done. Well, if it's a minority
0: government, then your relevance goes up, obviously. But um, you guys are liberals. I mean, one, one thing people might think is, well, you know what, they were liberals, they share liberal values, and they thought the party, you know, obviously you're disappointed deeply in Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau leaves. Let's say it's, it's over for Justin Trudeau. And the Liberals say, welcome back to the fold. You were independents. You didn't leave the Liberal Party because of values. You left it because you stopped believing in the Prime Minister. Do you rejoin the Liberal Party if Justin Trudeau's not there, Jody Wilson-Raybould?
8: Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't uh, acknowledge, and you're, I believe you're putting words in my mouth. I've never said that, but I, I believe. We well, said you lost
0: faith in how they were acting. With
8: respect know. to certain issues, right. yeah, that that is is true. I never say never. Um, you know, I believe fundamentally that i have still something to contribute to uh, the federal discussion and dialogue around important issues of public policy and lawmaking that hasn't changed uh right now i you know for me the best um, plan is to proceed as an independent um, i've learned a lot over the course of my three and a half years being a minister and now being an independent about how things can be improved right. there's there's too much adversarial discussions and conflict that seem to divide good people that have solid attributes and ideas and solutions to bring forward. And the only way we're going to address fundamental issues of climate change or Indigenous reconciliation, solutions that will live beyond the life of one government, is if we collaborate. No one knows what will happen in the future, but for right now, running as the independent candidate for Vancouver-Granville, to advocate and to advance the views and the voices of Vancouver Granville is my priority.
0: Jody Wilson-Raybould, so now there's a judge that wants to proceed and will proceed with the case against SNC. The government could still get a deferred prosecution to SNC until a conviction, is that right?
8: Yeah, it's in the um, authority of uh, an attorney general to um, enter into uh, negotiations around a deferred prosecution. If
0: they did do that, would you, let's say they did get a deferred prosecution, would you consider that a betrayal?
8: I I mean, I don't, uh, I mean, speaking generally, um, it is uh, within the authority of an attorney general to, uh, under the law, uh, offer a deferred prosecution agreement. I made a determination based on what was presented to me, the facts and information from the director of public prosecutions, and it was not, uh, in their opinion, appropriate in this case, and I agreed with that. Um, there will be a high level of scrutiny around this and any offering of a deferred prosecution agreement in the general sense by the public by the legal community and, and that's uh, entirely appropriate these decisions are are hard ones um, that need to be made um, and uh, you know it's up to the Attorney General at the time uh, to make those decisions for himself or herself.
0: For you and your riding, you're going to be asked if you support the Trans Mountain Pipeline. As a Liberal, you supported it. As an Independent, are you going to run supporting that?
8: Well, this, that is a complicated question that we would have to talk a lot more about. Um well, we're four
0: months from the election. What is it? Do you support well, it
8: or not? Um, there were certain conditions that had to be in place that are questionable whether or not they're in place right now. In terms of ensuring that um, Indigenous rights and jurisdiction are addressed, I am suspect of that and will be interested to know the success. But you were both part of the process
0: from, making that legitimate. You don't believe the process is working?
8: I didn't say that. I will be interested to know um, how everything comes together. Um, There was opportunity at the very beginning of the government's mandate to fundamentally address Indigenous rights and jurisdiction and create the space to enable Indigenous peoples to make fundamental decisions about their territory. But we're on
0: the campaign trail. I know you guys are bringing nuance to Parliament, but it's an election campaign. Yes or no, do you support the Trans Mountain Pipeline?
8: Well, again, I mean, it's a hard question that I know you, you want me to say yes well, or no. Well, because a, people, people vote in, on that. People in vancouver Gramble are split. Um, mm-hmm. I am against something that doesn't engage people in their opinions, that doesn't uh, fundamentally address the benefits and look to the benefits of the economy, um, transition to a green economy, and respect right. Indigenous rights and jurisdiction, and we're not quite there yet. Guys, this is going to be a fascinating
0: election. Um, I look forward to seeing how you both do as independents and keeping the conversation going. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Coming up, the media wars. An outspoken union with anti-conservative views is helping to decide which news outlets will get a taxpayer-funded bailout. Unifor's national president, the man at the center of this very debate, Jerry Dias, joins us next on The Scrum. You don't want to miss that. Stay right here with Question Period.
7: None of the challenges
0: facing the news industry justifies putting an openly partisan group on the panel to determine who gets funding. Well, the fake news debate that's raging in the United States has now landed in Canada, but with a twist. All week long, Justin Trudeau and his heritage minister have faced a hailstorm of questions from the opposition benches about the decision to appoint an anti-conservative union to the panel laying out the criteria for struggling news outlets to get a share of the government's $600 million media bailout fund. It applies to newspapers, by the way, not to broadcasters like us. Unifor, which represents the lion's share of Canadian journalists, has run ads calling itself Andrew Shear's worst nightmare. And the union's boss, Jerry Dias, has said Shear is unfit to lead. The Conservatives, meanwhile, accuse the Liberals of stacking the deck to try to get more positive news coverage ahead of the campaign. Is the fund that's meant to help journalists actually undermining trust in Canadian media. For more on that and what to watch for as the government pushes to ratify the new NAFTA before the election, let's bring in the Scrum. Michelle Zilio is a reporter for The Globe and Mail. Joyce Napier is CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief. Craig Oliver is CTV's Chief Political Commentator. And our special guest today is the man on the hot seat himself, Uniforce National President, Jerry Dias. He is in Toronto and at the center of this whole thing. Jerry, uh, welcome to everyone. i got to start with you. How can your union be on an advisory panel that purports to support independent journalism when you are openly partisan against Andrew Scheer. Can't you not see how the optics of this are frankly undermining the very people you represent?
9: Absolutely not. First of all, I'm not on the panel. Uh, We've recommended an incredible journalist, 25-year history, worked for TORSTAR, work for post media but if you look at the makeup of the panel there's eight people and they all have to come to a consensus before the recommendations go forward so nobody's leading the uh, nobody's leading the argument the other side of it is four of the eight panelists are representing the industry and we already know that when you look at the print print media seventy seven percent of the editors um, the media uh, excuse me the newspapers themselves are openly conservative supporters. They do that in every in every provincial and federal election. So if you have the representation of representatives of the newspapers that are openly supporting conservatives and we have a uniform nominee who is a journalist who has incredible but, integrity. But, Jerry, you I, 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 you know, we just, can argue just both ways. Okay,
0: but, but look, you've politicized this protest with your high-profile campaign. Are you now Love going it. to either recuse your your organization from the panel or back
9: off from your, your campaign against Andrew Scheer? I am not backing off at all. I think the Conservatives aren't fit to govern. Look what's happening here in Ontario. Ford cuts $17 million for women's programs that are dealing with violence. Cuts funding for kids with autism. is getting rid of 3,000 teachers and says it'll help kids become more resilient. So look, this is very political. Uh, It doesn't matter what happens. I am not supporting the Conservatives. You know what?
10: I think that there is, on the side of Conservatives, a mistrust of the media, because the perception is this is small li- liberal media, there's you know an inherent progressive sort of atmosphere in newsrooms, and so therefore we're all pro-liberal. Like let- let's face it, we get a lot of that from the conservatives, especially us who cover political uh, issues. So there's to begin with. The bailout to the conservatives is red flags because, oh, my God, they're going to give more money to the liberal media, and that means we will get negative coverage. So it, to be, just at the beginning of this debate, the conservatives are just uncomfortable with the bailout itself, never mind right? with Jerry well, Diaz and Unifor.
1: I've got to tell you, I had, trouble, I had trouble being outraged by all this. Yeah, I, me too. I did my best to try. <laughs> I mean, uh, was Jerry going to be sending out secret emails to thousands of the union members, giving them the, their instructions about what to say about Mr. Shear and the Conservative Party? Furthermore, as I understand it, this group won't actually decide who gets exactly how much money. Correct. They're they a kind of bigger picture than that.
0: I don't know, uh, Michelle. The, the, the justice doesn't have to be done at all. So the perception of justice yeah, has to be is done. Is justice. the perception of this bailout now that the Trudeau's putting his thumb on the scale with guys like Jerry Dias to try to influence this election.
11: Well, the first thing I need to say is what? I have a I kind don't of... I the argument. Well, hold on. Let Michelle oh, Hang Hold on. on. <laughs> uh, here. I am a member of uh, Mr. Dias' union. I as a member of uh, the, the union at the Globe and mail. So I need to, first of all, put that out there and make it clear. But that does not mean that the union represents my views. What I would say is from a journalistic perspective, um, you know, we remain as nonpartisan as we possibly can, but it is hard to not argue that this is going to be an election issue. Now that Unifor is on the panel and also targeting Mr. Shear. This is going to be an election campaign issue, and I think it's going to put the media in a very difficult position of trying to cover this issue. I've got
9: a lot more. I've got a lot more respect for journalism in this country yeah. than, a, than the too. people who are complaining about this. I don't buy for an argument that somehow journalists, their integrity is somehow going to be impacted. People have their own beliefs. This whole argument is about free speech. It's all about journalistic integrity. So journalists have integrity they have their own mind Jerry Dias isn't going to tell my members that work in the media. Money, how to vote. Jerry. They're Jerry, the people that mind. are doing people it, are it is fair
0: to say that people are going to be suspicious if a union's running campaigns against Andrew Scheer and is on an advisory committee that's allocating money to a struggling series of media outlets. Come on, I just to me it's it's, what will it's hard say? not people, what will to pretend there's say? not a politicization here. Look, yeah.
9: what will those people I'm say when Post this. Media and others come out saying they're supporting the Conservative Party in the next election? Let's facts, papers have their own political beliefs, they have their own political leanings. So what, is Andrew Shearer when Post Media comes out to say we're supporting the conservatives, is he going to say, no, 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 don't do that, I think it's wrong that the media has taken a position? Of course he's not going to say that. But listen, I respect their right to have their own opinion, I respect the rights of journalists. To question my decisions. That's what free speech is all about. Uh, l- let me
0: move to NAFTA quickly. And, and maybe, there's a- maybe there's a different advisory committee structure that changes all this. I don't know. But let me move to NAFTA. Um, Vice President Mike Pence, Craig, was in Ottawa. And he made a big fuzzy warmth. We're going to ratify the new NAFTA by this summer. It's all going to be great. Hours later, Donald Trump threatened to slap new nasty tariffs on Mexico. Could blow the entire thing up. Is this deal a done deal, or are we headed for, I don't know, is this thing in peril?
1: I think that this is very, very threatened. Why would the Mexicans go along with this? Um, oh, exactly. uh, who knows when we can get back to this again? It may be off the rails you know, permanently. this makes
10: even less sense than the other tariffs this president has imposed. As he is looking for allies for this, for this deal, he, came, he sent his, his vice president to Canada to show the Democrats, look, we have the backing right. of our allies here. Just to, to get he had to go out of his country to get allies, right. and what does he do the next day? He slaps tariffs on the Mexicans who are prepared to to adopt this NAFTA right. bill. So why he's doing this right now is it, totally it, incomprehensible. He has been incoherent it, before, but I think the, to, it, this it time he's like hypo- fantastically hypo- incoherent.
1: It, it was complete hypocrisy for him to come here since apparently he knew this was coming and try to sell us on this deal and all the reasons why it looked like it was on its way.
11: But uh, it gives the Canada every. Look, this deal
1: re- is dead.
9: I don't see see this thing getting ratified at all, and here's why. Number one, the only way it gets ratified is if the Democrats allow that to happen. And the only way that that happens is if the Mexican government completely folds. They move on all the issues as it relates to labor standards, enforceability. If they move on the whole issue with drug patents from 10 years back to 8 years, unless Mexico completely folds, then the Democrats will never support it. And if Democrats don't support it, it's going nowhere. Wow. And Donald Trump's latest move with the 5%, 10%, 15 up to 25% tariffs. If I'm Mexico, I would tell him to shove it and I would just walk away from it.
11: This speaks to the total unpredictability of President yeah. Trump. His second-hand yeah. man comes to Ottawa, makes a big show out of how secure this deal is. Canada, two days before, had put forward its legislation to ratify NAFTA. The U.S. is trying to do the same thing. But meanwhile, his boss, back in Washington, is basically upending the entire thing. So I think this thing is in real dangerous territory uh, or yeah. it's a bluff or yeah. it's another
0: donald trump all bluff. i know is if you're watching the raptors take on the warriors <laughs> guacamole is going to be expensive in the u.s. right now all right jerry das got to leave it there thank you sir for joining us very much the rest of the scrum is going to stick with always us. always my pleasure ndp leader jagmeet singh revealed his party's plan to tackle climate change did you even notice? Is it enough to start to stop the Green Party from stealing his support? The Scrum returns next with NDP star candidate Sven Robinson. Lots to talk about. Stay right here with Question Period. I'm proud to announce today our plan called Power to Change. It's our new deal for climate action and good jobs. So the NDP announced its plan to tackle climate change, calling it the most comprehensive environmental plan the NDP has ever proposed. Now, they are clearly borrowing from the so-called Green New Deal movement going on in the U.S. They promised to create jobs by building up clean technology. But will they also do things like increase the price of carbon? And will it be enough to retake support from the Green Party? We did ask the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh to join us on the program today to talk about his big announcement. But he said he was unavailable, surprising, frankly. But let's bring in the scum to talk about that and other issues. Michelle Zilio, Joyce Napier, and Craig Oliver are all back. And our special guest this round is former NDP MP and now star candidate for Burnaby North, Sven Robinson. All right. uh, Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to you, Sven Robinson. The NDP plan uh, does keep a carbon tax like the Liberals have. I guess the details are, are, are not there. How high would the NDP go in terms of a carbon tax to hit these new targets your party's
2: talking about? Well, that hasn't yet been determined. I mean, I think that what's really exciting and what is bold and what's transformative about the new plan called Power to Change, Evan, is the fact that we've said that we have to meet those IPCC targets, the targets of uh, basically 50 percent reductions on 20, uh, on 2005, by 2030. So we've got to meet those targets. Those targets will be monitored and how we meet them will be monitored by independent scientific uh, uh, experts. Uh, And then there's a whole range of policies to to roll that out. So we haven't got the the fine details of what will be the level of that and so on. But I think uh, it's, uh, as I say, it's a bold program. It's one that uh, recognizes that we are in a climate emergency.
1: It's admirable, but, boy, is it expensive. You're starting with $15 billion a year, probably. But, you know, you'd have to go up to at least $250 a ton uh, in order to go anywhere near the Paris targets. But it's enlightened. It includes all the good ideas the Greens have ever had. What does it cost to make all the buses in Canada uh, electric? What does it cost to do all of the other things in there? I mean, can you really think you can do this for $15 billion? Yeah. Does anybody enjoy? Joyce?
10: No, first of all, yes, it is a costly plan. But we know that any plan is going to be a costly one. The The, the question I have is who's listening, uh, basically, right? right? I mean, how? What, what kind of coverage did it get? Not much. Got nothing. And I think that they should worry a lot about that, because if you want people to buy into your... Plan. Uh, people have to be listening, and I don't think they are. I think that the green, the green people in Canada are going green, green. Okay.
11: We'll I, agree with, with well, I, I agree with what Joyce is saying, but I would have to say that, you know, they probably should have invested less time in putting, you know, so much thought into this plan and maybe just a couple minutes into how they were going to publicize it. Yes. This is a very progressive plan. You know, we there's some good goody bag items in there, like moving towards free, free public transit. That speaks to progressive voters who are concerned about the climate. But if nobody knows about it, then what's the point?
0: Sven, just quickly, I just want to go back to you on this. And Joyce mentioned this. I think it's a good point. Do you think this is enough to stop your party from losing support to the greens to steal back some momentum from the greens because again to, to, again i 'll just reiterate you 're on the program talking about it you 're not even an elected member of the NDP right now your your own leader isn 't out there trumpeting this is this enough
2: oh it 's more than enough I mean for one thing what this plan is doing that the greens are not doing it's t- it's talking in a serious way about how do we work respectfully with with workers with communities with their unions to transform the economy in a way that is really quite revolutionary I mean Remember, if we put this on a, on a basically on a wartime footing, if we say that the the crisis is so serious, the emergency is so serious, we got to be on a wartime footing. What did we do with those veterans who came back after after World War II, Evan? We made sure they had housing, we made sure that they had uh, uh, training, uh, income support. The Green Party proposal is short on details about respect for working with, uh, with with workers, and also very much in terms of indigenous leadership. We've been crystal clear: partnership with indigenous peoples respect for undrip has got to be at the core of this so I think that people were looking at the greens first of all they were confused about some of the statements that Elizabeth May has made recently but they're going to be excited and they're going to be motivated uh, by uh, this uh, this policy Michelle
11: I'm not convinced by no, that I'm I really think there's a green party rise going on in this in in, in this country right now and I, and I don't know if enough Canadians know the difference between a green party policy I mean they are seen as a climate party right now and the NDP's new climate policy I mean there's just been so little coverage of this. If they can't get it to stand out, then they won't stand separate from the Greens.
0: All right, speaking of standing out, uh, we had Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott on the program for an interview that they did together. They're now running as independents. Craig, Mm -hmm. they believe that they can reform the system away from the party system, ironically, a system that all the achievements they had in politics, you know, assisted dying, legalizing cannabis, all done through the party system. Is this a road to irrelevance or a road Uh, to reform parliament?
1: Well, I think it's a road to uh, naivete uh, instead. In in other words, in the long course of human civilization, there have always been leaders and people who collected around them because they believe in their ideas. That's called partisanship. And partisanship isn't going to end. And by the way, they owe everything they are today, these two admirable women, to partisanship. They were partisans. They were in there criticizing the other guys. So... Uh, I don't think they're going to find themselves joining a lot of people. And I think they may be very lonely people unless somebody gets a minority.
10: I think it will be a walk through the desert, uh, the (laughs) political desert. And I mean, some people survive the political desert. I don't know. It it is almost impossible. The last time independents won their seats was in 2008. They have very big name recognition. So, but the recognition they got from being partisan because or else they would have never been well known. I think that the virtue signaling has got to stop and the real work for them has got to start.
11: I agree that... This is probably just going to be a walk in the desert. But there is a situation where I think they could have some influence, and that is if we see a minority government mm-hmm. elected. Those yeah. are going to be votes in that you know independent corner that we're seeing in the House of Commons right now that could sway things one or, one way or another. But if it comes back into majority territory for for any of the parties, they're looking at rarely getting a question in the House yeah. of Commons, very little to no presence on committees, and that just equals very little influence
0: on right. Parliament Hill.
2: And that's if they win. Mm-hmm. Last words. Yeah. Stand- Robinson. Yeah, no, I just, I, I remember the desert. I was there from 93 to 97 uh, uh, and uh, it was tough. There were only nine NDPMPs, We didn't have status. Um, I give them credit for, for making an effort on this, but one thing that I think is going to be interesting, there's about three weeks left. Let's watch how Jane Philpott and Jody Wilson-Raybould, let's watch how they vote uh, on some of the key issues that come up in the, in the, in the course of the next two, three weeks. Are they going to vote with their liberal colleagues, or are they going to take an independent stand? Because I think that the constituents in those ridings have a right to know what are they, uh, what are the policies that they're going to be speaking out on. Well,
0: they call themselves liberals. They always have. That's why they didn't join the NDP. They didn't join the Green Party. So we'll find out how they do vote. I've got to leave it there, though. Sven Robinson, Michelle Zilio, Joyce Napier, and Craig Oliver great discussions today. What a day. We will be watching what happens on Monday in those buildings behind us. We will be back here in seven short days. Thanks for watching and have a great weekend. Take good care.